Thanks for joining us today. Our church exists to give everyone, everywhere, every reason to know Jesus. You can learn more by connecting with us on Facebook at Journey Fellowship Denton. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy today's message. So, amen. James chapter 5, we're going to be wrapping up today. And uh, what's, what's great about uh, going through this book, I've been preaching in this book for about five months um, in the book of James. You know, as I plan it out, it, I don't look and say, okay, well, on this date, I'm going to do this. I just start going through and studying the Word. You know, a lot of people look at, the, look at the Bible and they say, okay, well, we've got to make the Bible relevant for this generation, right? We've got to make it relevant. Can I just tell you, the Bible is timeless. It is timeless in everything it does. You don't have to make the Bible relevant. It's relevance. That's really what needs to be done. So if the Word of God is preached, it's relevant no matter what age you are, no matter what year you're in, no matter what day of the month it is. It's relevant at all times. And we've been going through James, and James is such a unique person because he grew up in a family that had someone special in it. I mean, James is the younger brother of Jesus. If you look in the book of James, you could flip to the next book that you could flip over to the book of jude you have another brother of jesus who wrote i mean i want you to think about how well mary and joseph did i mean first of all they raised the son of god in their home jesus was in their home can i just tell you if you want to have a great family you need to have jesus in the house this isn't my message but i think it's pretty good if you really want your family to do well, you need Jesus in the house. That's exactly what Mary and Joseph, Jesus was in the house. And the second incredible thing uh, that, that you see when you, when you study that family, you see James and Jude, is you see all of them. You have another brother that uh, church history says his name was Simon. And when James was actually killed, when they stoned James or beat him with sticks and he died, Another brother of Jesus, church history says, took over the church in Jerusalem. His name was Simon. And, you know, all of these men and whoever else, you know, was there in that family, I just want you to know that every person in that family had a relationship with God and were filled with the Holy Spirit. What an incredible testimony for a family. To worship together, to love God, to serve Him together. And then one of the most unique things about this family is that they had incredible godly parenting you know joseph is not mentioned very much further than just you know in the first couple of parts of the gospels but i'll tell you he instilled something in his children he was a god-fearing man he knew he knew the lord and of course mary she raised her kids right i mean to raise the son of god and then to have at least two others write books in the bible you did a pretty good job mary you know i mean that's pretty fantastic I mean, I know some moms that would just like say, you know what, I'd just like to have uh, one kid that's just not a knucklehead. You know, I mean, it's just any, 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 anything positive would, would be great, would be great for me. But we're, we're going to the last few verses of the, of the letter that James write. And he writes these last words. Whenever you're writing last words, what you're doing is you're launching your readers or your hearers into the next season. Whenever someone speaks last words, these are my final words, what you're doing is you are, you are transitioning seasons. Okay. Think about it. Whenever, whenever you are, are born, what happens before you take that baby home from the hospital? The nurse will come in and she'll say, or the doctor will say, hey, this is the instructions I'm going to give to you. These are the things that you need to do when you take your baby home. So that, and you're transitioning from that time of birth to now you're going to raise this child. When you get married, what are the things that you, you repeat vows? You're transitioning seasons. I'm not one anymore. I am two. You're, you're changing seasons. You're moving. From, when you graduate from, from school, high school or college, you're transitioning seasons. There's last words, you know, and you have the... You have a, a commencement speaker who is, who is launching you out into life when you're, when you're at a funeral and there's last words spoken over you. Guess what? You're transitioning from this life into the next. And James's last words are important to us because they move us into a new season. Everybody 
lives in different seasons of life. And what you're going to see in this, these few verses, you're going to see six seasons that James talks about that people live through. Okay? And what he's going to do is give instructions on how to live in those seasons. How do you respond rightly in every season of your life? It's like the, the little red thing on the side of buildings that says, in case of a fire, pull this handle. So in case of this season, James says, this is how you respond. And if you look in the very first verse of, of if you look in verse 13 of James chapter 5, here's what you see. In the first season of life, he says, if any one of you is in, say it with me, trouble, he should pray. If this, then pull this handle. What does he say? If you're in trouble, then you should pray. Anybody know what that's like to be in tough times, to be in challenging times, to be in difficult circumstances, to feel suffering? That word in the Greek is kakopatheo, which means actually to suffer emotional anxiety and stress. Let me tell you something. If there's anything that we deal with that, that really bugs us more, it's not just the sufferings that are on the outside, it's the trouble that we feel on the inside. Can I get an amen? You feel that heaviness in your heart. You feel the weight of life. You feel the pressure of life. You wonder in your mind, how am I going to get through this? What am I going to do? How am I going to handle this? And it's a mental, emotional suffering that we go through. And James says, if you are suffering, if you are troubled, if you are emotionally disturbed, you should pray. You see, the more, you, the, the more pain and, 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 and trouble you feel, the more prayer you should have. So you say, well, pastor, how am I supposed to pray? I want to just give you some tips. How do you pray? Well, here's, you, here's how you start to pray. Number one, you stop focusing on the words that you're supposed to say or phrases that you're supposed to say and start focusing, focusing upon the Father that you are speaking to and that you are listening to. Focus your attention upon the Father. Not the words that you're saying, but the conversation that you're having with Him. All through the Old Testament, what you see is you see list after list of fathers and generations. And it goes on through the book of Numbers. You can see that over and over. There are genealogies. As a matter of fact, there are genealogies all throughout the Old Testament. And you'll see this. You'll find that in the Old Testament, there are about 15 references to God as being the father of the nations. But here's what's, here's what's unique about that. It's always impersonal. God is the father of Israel. He is the father of the Hebrew people. But it's always impersonal. When Jesus comes along, something changes. It's a radical revolution. When Jesus comes along, he begins to speak to God as his personal father. It's revolutionary because if you'll study the scriptures and throughout Jewish history, nowhere did the Jews actually make the father personal. It's the father of the nation. But Jesus comes along and Jesus says, no, 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 he is our father. As a matter of fact, when, when, uh, when you go to learn how to pray and you want to learn how to pray, you don't look at some book or brochure. What you do is you begin to look at what a father does. If you want to know how to pray, here's how you look and you learn how. Watch a father in our church who responds to his children. A loving, godly father. Watch how he responds to his children. You want to see how God is affected when you pray? Watch how... A loving father responds to a child. That's how you learn how to pray, because that's how God treats us. And Jesus, revolutionary, he says, look, if you're in trouble, you need to pray. You need to talk to the Father. You need to go to Him. He is our Father. Reach out to Him. Call upon Him. Ask Him. There are some things that you need to do, and what happens when you pray when you're hurting and when you're in trouble? First of all, God doesn't need you to pray. You need you to pray. You're emotionally heavy, and some of you may have just come through the Thanksgiving holiday and it didn't turn out the way that you hoped it would. Maybe there was a little bit of drama in the family. Maybe there was some, some things that didn't happen that you were hoping that would happen. Let me tell you, 
God doesn't need you to pray. You need you to pray. In those times of trouble, pray. Second thing happens when you pray and you're in the middle of trouble is that prayer transfers the burdens that you can't carry to the burdens the Father can carry. You give Him what you can't do. I tell my, I've told my kids, my family all the time, I said, look, you do what you can do and you let God do only what He can do. And don't try to take His job. Because when you try to take God's job, it never works out. It never works out. I saw a video this week of a little girl that was, uh, they, were, they were stretching an electric fence. I'm not sure whether it was sheep or cattle or whatever, but they were stretching an electric fence. And electric fences are kind of hard. And at the end of an electric fence, which is a single line, some of you have uh, stuck your nose to an electric fence before, I know. Uh, but there's a little handle on that end. And what you do is you have to get really tight. And there's a hook that's on that corner post. And you've got to hook that, that handle uh, to stretch that fence. There was a little girl, and she's probably 10 years old, and she's out there, and her dad is standing at the corner post, and he's just watching, and she's stretching this way, and she's working and pulling, and she's tugging, and she's doing everything that she can do, and he's just standing there watching her. And I could see the smile on his face. It was so, it was so neat because I've been there before where I'm trying to stretch it, and I'm trying to get it to where it needs to go, and I just don't have the gas. I don't have the strength. I don't have the ability and then after she struggles all this time, she looks up at her dad that's standing there just with his hands on top of that corner post. And as she looks up to him, he reaches down and with one hand, he grabs that handle and hooks it. And she was like this. <laughs> I thought, how impressive of an illustration how we respond to when we're in trouble and we just can't make the connection. We just can't get it done. We look up to the Father and with one hand He reaches down and He hooks what needs to be hooked. He sets in line what needs to be set in line. He stretches those things that we can't stretch out. God takes care of it. He's our personal Father. I have a conversation with my Father every day. Every day. One of my favorite places to meet with my father is right here in this room. I'll come over here during the week and, and the lights will just kind of, these side lights will be on and I'll just start walking around this room. This is my favorite place to pray. I love praying in this room. The reason why is because the presence of the Lord just kind of continues to just kind of move here and, and there's a, it, it's also a time where you'll all be here together and so I love to pray when we're all, when I know, hey, there's going to be, all of our church is going to be around here. So I, I begin to make laps and, and uh, I, I walk and pray. How many of you like to walk and pray? How many of you are kneelers? You like to kneel and pray. Some of you are, I like to lay down and pray. If I do that, I don't do a lot of praying. I do a lot of sleeping. Some of you like to sit and pray. The posture is not necessarily important, but you can meet with your Father. And as I walk and pray, I, the Lord does things. He, he, he either walks me through my problems or He'll walk me around my problems. He'll walk me around my trouble. And, and as I walk, it just feels like I'm walking with Him. And I carry on a conversation. Some of you think that prayer is about the words. Prayer is carrying on the conversation with your Father. So what would you do? Well, Lord, I, I just... You know what's going on. You see my heart. You see what's going on in my life. And you feel his response in your heart. And he says, yeah, I see that. How have you responded? Well, you know, I've not responded well, Lord. I'm having trouble. It's eating me up on the inside. It's weighing on my mind. Well, what do you think you should do about that? Well, I don't know. That's why I'm coming to you. What should I do about that? Well, have you tried this? Have you, have you done that? You just walk and you respond. You pray. When you're in trouble, James says, you pray. You see, the last words that James says, he mentions that. What's unique is that in the last words on the lips of Jesus were in the form of a prayer. As Jesus hung on the cross, His life was almost beaten completely out of Him. But the Scripture says in Luke chapter 23, verse 46, Jesus called out in a loud voice and he says father into your hands i commit my spirit and then the scripture says when he said this he breathed his last the last phrase on his lips jesus looked up and he said father father 
When you're in trouble, pray. Look at your neighbor and say, when you're in trouble, pray. Pray. Look at the second thing he says. Look at the rest of verse 13. Is anyone happy? I'm waiting for someone to bust out. I'm so happy. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Who all is having a good day today? Who's having a good day today? I'm having a great day today. All of my family's home. Mama's having a good day today because all her family is in church. We're having a good day. It's been a great few days. We've had lots of turkey. We've had lots of dressing. We finally got rid of all the crazy family. They're out of the house. We're all alone. Thank God. Now, that's some of you. You're like, yeah, Uncle Larry finally left, you know. I mean, if you're happy, you should sing songs of praise. Sing praise. Now, you know, a lot of people don't come to church because they think it's a place where people are always sad. It's true. People won't go to church because the people that walk out of church, they've still got these long faces. Have you been to church? Yeah. What church? You know. The long, sad faces. Another thing that people don't come to church is because they think, well, the church is where everybody that has the problems, that's where they go so God can fix them. Can I tell you, that should not always be the reason why you come to church. You can come to church on a bad day and He can touch you and He can meet you and He can, he can uh, uh, render grace into your life. But if you're having a great day, if you're celebrating life and you're doing well in your relationships and everything's going good, come to church because this place is the place where you're supposed to party. Some of y'all are not very good partiers, are you? This is the place where you're supposed to have a party because it says on the days you are happy, you should praise, you should sing. Now let's just step back and think about this whole idea. We just did it, okay? Church is the only place where strangers, some who can sing and some who can't, get together and publicly sing together. Now, that's weird. You don't see that in Home Depot. You don't go into Walmart, you know, and all of a sudden when you walk in, the flash mob hits the, hits the cashiers. Yeah. Ain't nobody doing that. We come together in church, and some of you, you couldn't sing your way out of a wet paper sack. The water wants to run away when you sing in the shower, okay? But you come in, and you're happy, and you begin to sing, Great is our God! How great is our God! You begin to lift up the name of the Lord. Why? Because you're singing a song of praise. Because worship in the, in the church and in the people of God, it's not intended to be a concert. We could hire the best musicians in town. I mean, Denton's got fabulous music. We could hire the best. We could pay the best and get them to come in here so that we could just sit and watch a Sunday morning concert. That's not what God desires. If you're happy, you should praise. You should lift them up, whether there's music on the stage or not. You should sing, whether you're in your car or whether you're in the church or whether you're mowing the lawn, whatever you're doing. Make the neighbors think you're Looney Tune. If you're having a good day, praise Him. Sing songs. Lift Him up. Why do we sing? Let me just give you a few reasons why we sing. Number one, we sing because singing is a way of praying. You're praying with a tune. You're just praying a tune. You're singing unto God, the prayer that's coming out of your heart. And a prayer doesn't always have a request. Sometimes prayers are glorious. They are, they are lifting up God. They're they are honoring Him. They're a way of praying. Singing is also a way of emotionally maturing. It's a way of motion. Now, let me talk to the guys real quick. Most of you guys, when you come into church, you don't sing a lot. I've noticed. It's not that you don't have good voices. You probably have a great voice. But guys typically are not very relational or emotional. And so you guys have to work on it. 
You have to work at it. Let me tell you how you mature emotionally and relationally. Because when you mature emotionally and relationally, you're able to connect to your wife. You're able to connect to the people around you much better. Here's how you do it. You begin to sing. If you're that bad, if you're that bad of a singer, learn sign language. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just, I'm just kidding. Sing anyway, Akeem. Sing anyway. Curl, curl Daisy's hair. Oh, wait, it's already curled. So you have been singing, right? You have been singing. Listen. Guys, you, have, you need to sing. There is no greater example than, to, than for children to see their fathers worshiping God. Not standing there with their arms crossed saying, man, when's this music over? Because I'll guarantee you, if Chris Stapleton comes on, hey, they're singing. George Strait, I know every word of that song. You know, or whoever else is out there. You sing. Why not sing unto the one who matters? It emotionally matures us. There's just too many people that I believe, and I'm going to move on real quickly when I say this. There's too many Christians who are spiritually constipated. You need to let it out. If you're happy, sing. Laugh. Shout a little bit. Singing is a way that we celebrate because all parties have music. Anybody ever been to a party where there's no music? Anybody? It's not a party, right? It's not a party without music. And that's what the kingdom of God is going to be. The kingdom of God is a celebration. We come together and we celebrate God's kingdom. Let me tell you something. Jesus, throughout the New Testament, he showed up to every holiday, every festival, and every feast. Jesus was always at the parties. He was celebrating God's kingdom of what he was doing and how he was doing it. And this is why I get so excited because I'm just practicing every Sunday for the kingdom when we all get together and we get to do what we get to do. Is anyone in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone in happy? Then he should sing songs of praise. Look at verse 14. Is any one of you sick? So here's a different season. Not just emotionally weighed down, not just emotionally troubled, not just emotionally anxious, not just happy. I'm definitely not happy here. Is any one of you sick? There may be some in this room right now. I know that there are some who aren't in church today because they are sick. Is any one of you sick? What does he say? Here's what you do. Pull this handle. Do this. He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with the oil or with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well and the Lord will raise him up. We live in a broken, broken world. And you know how I can tell that? You just look around at the hospitals that are full. Sickness is everywhere. I mean, that was evidence, what, three years ago when we went through COVID and the entire world is trying to overcome a sickness, an illness. We live in a broken world broken world but here's the great part if you look in the word of god you see that jesus healed the sick 27 times in the new testament jesus healed individuals who were sick 10 times he healed entire groups of people who were sick jesus did a lot of healing as he walked among us in the in the in the world back in those days John says this. John says that there were other healings and other miracles that Jesus did that are not even recorded in God's Word. Because if He tried to record them all, it would make the book so big you couldn't write, you couldn't even pick it up. There was so much more that Jesus did that we know that He accomplished and He healed a lot of sick people. And then Jesus died and He was buried and then he rose again and the bible says that jesus ascended into heaven and that leads us to this question well pastor if jesus ascended into heaven and he is there and we're still here does he still heal it's a great question if jesus is now there will he heal the sick who are here Here's a great thing that I want to show you. 
Because see, after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are written, old Dr. Luke, who is a physical physician, he is a physician by trade. He is trained, he is knowledgeable in medicine, he's knowledgeable in biology, he understands to that day the knowledge that they had to work with. Luke picks up after the Gospels, after Jesus is gone, he's ascended into heaven, and Luke picks up in Acts. Acts is the book that describes the church, the beginning of the church, when Jesus has ascended into heaven, and all of a sudden, now what do we do? In Acts, he picks up the story, and Dr. Luke, through the book of Acts, records 14 healings that took place in the book of Acts. 22 or 12 of the 28 chapters in the book of Acts involve someone who is being healed. You know what that means to me? That's great news because Jesus, even though he ascended into heaven, he continued to heal our bodies even when he was there and we were still here. In the book of Acts, the Bible says that people continue to be healed in the name of Jesus. That's good news. That's good news because Jesus continues to heal. Now, here's the two erroneous beliefs in that. Some people do believe that God used to heal. Yeah, I believe it. It's here, but that's used to. My problem is that if you are a cessationist and that God doesn't do those things anymore, what are you going to do with the Scripture in Hebrews that says He is the same yesterday, today, and forever? When did He quit? In the Old Testament, He says, I am the God who does not change. When did God retire from the healing business? I'll tell you something. He didn't just used to heal. He still heals. But there's another, there's another belief, and that is the belief that God must heal when we demand it. Well, let me talk about that for just a second. You see, there are those who teach this, that God has to heal. That if we put our foot down and we say, God, I'm holding you to it. You've got to do this right now and you've got to do it my way. You know, here's a perk about being God. Nobody gets to tell you what you can do or what you have to do. Nobody tells God, hey, do this, do that, show up here, show up there, show up whenever I tell you to show up. That is not God. That is a Disney genie movie. He is God and He is sovereign. And so he, when you say, oh, you must heal, and here, here's how this usually forms itself out. Well, if you have enough faith, God's required to heal you. Well, on the opposite of that, if God doesn't heal you, then I guess you're the... You're the one who, you didn't have enough faith. Well, that is, that, is, that is spiritual abuse to me. I know people who have prayed, godly people who have sought the Lord over and over, and, and, and they're still waiting on their healing. And you can bang them over the head. Well, if you just had enough faith, that, that person or your grandma or your whatever, they'd still be alive. You didn't have enough faith. She didn't have enough faith. That's spiritual abuse. There's no way that I see that in the Scripture. And the reason why that people do that is because really they don't understand the core. You can't tell God what to do. So here's where I want you to see. This is where I stand. This is where this church stands. We are in between those two positions where God doesn't heal and where God must heal. We serve a God who can heal, so we ask Him. We don't demand something from God. We don't expect nothing from God, but we know that He can, so we just ask. He is our Father. How many of you have, in fact, physically been healed in your body for sure, and you know God has touched you? You know for a fact. Raise your hand. Keep it up. Keep it up. I want you to look around right here. You know God has physically touched your body. I want you to look around. Look at all these testimonies of people that you know, that you go to church with. You know God has touched them. Thank you. Now, no worse memo. How's he feeling? Let me just tell the story. I'm on, I don't want to steal his thunder because I want to have him do this. I got a phone call on Thanksgiving Day. I'm with my family, and I'm like, oh, okay, well, it's memo. I'll, I'll, I'll give him a call back. I missed his call. Called, called memo. 
He said, Pastor, I don't want to disturb you. But he said, I am just ecstatic. And he said, I thought you needed to know. He said, I went in this week for my bone marrow biopsy. He's got multiple myeloma cancer. So he went in for his bone biopsy. They're going to do a total um, bone marrow replacement on him. He said, the doctors were expecting at a level of about 5% so that they could go in and they could do a full replacement. He said, when they went in there and they took my bone marrow sample, he said, when they came out, the doctor said, I don't know what's going on, but your cancer level is zero. You are in complete remission. <laughs> complete remission. He said, there's no cancer. Praise God. Praise God. Come on, let's celebrate that. Yes. Praise the Lord. We serve a God who can heal. And I don't care if it's a, if it's a sore throat or if it's multiple myeloma cancer. We serve a God who can. So ask, friends. Just ask. Ask your Father. He will touch you. Be patient. I know some of you are dealing with health issues. And you throw the C word in front of it, and it's kind of scary. Let me tell you something. You serve a God who's not afraid of that. He's not afraid of any of it. And so ask Him, and your Father will stand over you. We said there's a little lady right here. She was healed from stage four cancer in her body. And she's, how many, I don't even know how many years you are past that, Lois. How many? Five and a half years. No cancer. None. Zero. I was there in the hospital that day, and the, she had cancer everywhere. It was all inside her, everywhere. They took everything out and set it kind of on the table. They washed her out. No joke. That's what happened. Today, she stands here and gives God glory and says, He is my healer. And everywhere she goes, she testifies to that. I tell you, God heals. Don't be afraid of sickness and disease, friends. My wife and I, we're walking in healing. I'm not afraid Cancer does not scare me. Nothing scares me when I stand in the shadow of my Father. And nothing. He stands with us. So we serve a God who can heal. He doesn't have to heal. I don't demand. I don't say, God, get down here and fix my body. No, I say, oh, Father, have grace. I stand in the shelter of the shadow of the Almighty. James says when you're sick, it's appropriate for you to pray. To pray. And he's, here's, here's another part of that. He says, it's appropriate for you to ask someone else to come and pray for you. To come be a part of that prayer. And then as you, as you ask them to, to come be a part of that, it says that they anointed them with oil. Now Jesus never anointed anybody with oil that we know of. It's not in Scripture. The disciples anointed people with oil one time. It's found in Mark chapter 6, verse 13, where the disciples anointed anointed other people with oil to pray over them. There's something significant that James says about this anointing with oil. Now, if you know and understand that in that day that they used oil, olive oil, it had medicinal, uh, medicinal uh, uses. They'd use it, they'd rub it on, on wounds, they'd rub it on all kinds of different things. We've got kind of one of those uh, natural... Uh, people who create stuff like that she she kind of gives me stuff that i drink and and different things she you know i'm not guaranteeing the taste but you know what's supposed to be good for me so i'll take it you know they they would anoint and he said he said anoint oil you know here, here's what i want you to say god is in the miracle working business but he's also in the medical business he's in the medical business I mean, the oil that, that they used, it, was, it had a medicinal, medicinal value, and they understood that, and they used that because the Lord can guide the hands of a surgeon. The Lord can give a doctor an, an understanding of a diagnosis, right? I mean, the Lord can guide. And, and so here's what I say. When you choose a doctor or a physician or a surgeon, you should pray that the Lord would give you the right one. We need these smart people in the world. We do. So when you go and you, and you visit with your doctor, if you just can't get the right thing in your spirit, find another one. I'm not 
giving legal advice. I'm just saying that's what I do. Because there's people that God has given this intelligence to and, and giftings to that can help you. He says anoint them with oil. But it doesn't just stop with that medicinal value. See, the oil represents not just something, it's someone. The oil represents the Holy Spirit all throughout the Scriptures. I tell you, the Holy Spirit doesn't just work inside your heart and inside your soul. He can work inside your body. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that we are the temples of the Holy Spirit. And if I know the Lord and our Father, He likes to keep His temple clean and pristine. And therefore, your temple needs to be whole and healthy. Come on, somebody. So when you pray, say, Lord, let my temple be holy and healthy so that I can serve you with the fullness of my ability. Let the Holy Spirit touch me from the head to my feet. Let no wicked or, or let no unhealthy cell be a part and be alive in my temple because my temple is unto the Lord. Live in the temple of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit was anointed upon them. You see, why do we pray for the sick? And here's one thing that we do in our church. We pray for the sick and we do it a lot. We pray for the sick, first of all, because it helps with the reality. Nobody in this church would say, if you're sick, act like it doesn't exist. You know what? That's silly. That's silly. I know people that teach that. Well, if you're sick, just ignore it. That's, that's not smart. If you're sick, acknowledge your sickness. Because the only way that you can get healed is if you acknowledge that you were sick in the first place. The only way that you can get saved is you have to acknowledge you're a sinner. Right? Don't ignore it. Don't say it doesn't exist. Say, okay, Lord, I am sick. And then when we pray for the sick, we can empathize with, with those because we can feel that situation. That's why you call the people together. Let me tell you something. It's encouraging to have people surround you. They know they can try to catch of what you feel because that's the, second, it's, that's the third part is it's support. It's great to know that I'm praying in faith saying, Lord, I need healing in my body, but I've got people in this church who pray for me on a daily basis saying, Lord, give Pastor help. Give Pastor Shannon strength. Give her help, Lord. Touch her body. Curse every cell in her body that's abnormal. Lord, every cell in Pastor, curse it all. And we're standing in support knowing that we know you. Many of you are praying for us on a daily basis. Because when you pray for somebody, you don't just have to think about it or wonder about the diagnosis. When you pray, you're doing something about it. You don't have to be at the doctor's office. You don't have to get a shot or take a pill. When you pray, you're doing something about any sickness that you have. You're dealing with it in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit's doing that. My grandfather passed away over 20 years ago. He and I were very close. I'll never forget when we walked out of that hospital room and he had expired in Abilene, Texas. And I was young, you know, I was younger. I looked, I looked at my dad. That's my spiritual mentor, one of them. And I said, Dad, we trusted God. Why didn't God hear us? My dad, I'll never forget, he just said these two words. He said, he did. And I said, well, why didn't he answer us? And I'll never forget these two words either. He said, he will. He will. You see, when it comes to divine healing, the question is not will God heal us, but when will he heal us? Some of you this year, you've lost loved ones. Can I just tell you that they may have expired but in faith, they are completely whole and healed now. They have no pain. They have no hurt. They have no sorrow for being sick or ill. Some receive their healing in this life. Others receive their healing in, in eternal life. I'm going to be so happy one of these days when I don't have to visit another hospital. I don't have to go to another nursing home. Because bodies just wear out. I don't have to attend another funeral. We pray for the sick. And we do it here in this church. It's what James says. He says, when anybody is sick, call the elders of the church. I mean, you're not going to walk into Home Depot or Walmart or whatever and you know, say, hey, here's my load of boards. Can I get some prayer while I'm here for the sick? I'm sick. That's not going to happen. 
You're not going to do that at JCPenney or any place. You're not going to go to any other store or any other place. You're not going to walk into work and say, hey, guys, good morning, everybody. Uh, could we all gather together? Somebody bring some, uh, some of that motor oil over there off the shelf. Anoint me with oil. I'm sick. It happens at the church. It happens at the church. We pray for the sick here. He says, verse 15, if he has sinned. So when you sin, if he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Pray for each other. If you have sinned, if there is sin, then pray for each other. The truth is, is that we all sin. And I can just tell you this. There are times when each one of you is not the best version of yourself. <laughs> right? We all sin, and so what's our response to that? You have to be honest about it. Be honest about it. That's what he says. When you confess, all you're doing is you're agreeing that, God, you're right about me. <laughs> That's what it means to confess. To confess says, Lord, you're, you're right. I'm a jerk. I shoot my mouth off. I have bitterness. Lord, I talk too much about other people. Lord, I, I, I tell lies. Lord, you're right. I confess. You're right, God. You're right. Everything that you say, you're right. And so we confess our sins, but he says not just that, to confess our sins to one another. Here's what that means. You don't just go around sharing your dirty laundry with everybody. When you confess your sins with another, what you're doing is you're looking for wise counsel in the people around you, in godly people around you. Who are you inviting into your life? When you're struggling with sin, there needs to be some people that you can invite into your life that you can say, hey, I need help here in, my, in this part of my life. I'm confessing to you, I am weak here and I need some strength. Because I'll tell you, here's the lie that Satan tells you. The Satan will say, hey, you can manage this. And so you try to manage it and you try to juggle it and you don't get anywhere and you just keep falling and falling and falling. And what you need to do is the Bible says you need to crucify that sin and you need to bury it. And when you confess it to somebody else, all you're doing is saying, hey, bring a shovel and help me dig the hole. That's what it means to confess your sin. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. Not just spiritually, but physically. Look at verse 16. For the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. That's the, new, that's the NIV 84 version. Let me read you the ESV. For the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. When you're exhausted... You need to understand that there is someone else who can do all the heavy lifting for you. I want everybody in this room right now to just take a deep breath and just let it out. Just rest. Just rest. Some of you are exhausted. This week has exhausted you. Some of you, this year has exhausted you. I'll tell you, this has been an exhausting year for me. But the Scripture says that whenever we reach our limits, and we all have limits, we get tired, we get emotionally fatigued, we get mentally tired, we get physically fatigued. When you reach your limits of doing the work, you have to understand that there is someone else who can do the work for you. That's why the prayer of a, of a righteous man is powerful and effective. It is working so that you don't have to work. The point is, is that this verse I see is all about the Holy Spirit's work in your life. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Powerful and effective. That is synonymous with the Holy Spirit's work in every person's life. And if you are full of the presence of God, if you are full of the Holy Spirit, according to Acts 1.8, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, let me tell you something. When He works, He works. When you work, you work. I will promise you He will get a lot more done than you ever will. When you're exhausted and you've done everything that you can do, as what, as what Paul says in Ephesians, when you've done everything to do to stand, then just stand still and let Him work 
prayer of a righteous man is powerful and it is effective. If Jesus needed to pray, then we should pray. If Jesus needed the power of the Holy Spirit to rest upon him, as we saw that in his baptism when the Spirit came down and descended upon him like a dove, then we need the Holy Spirit to come down upon us and to rest upon us and to fill us so that he can do the work that we cannot do. We need to be full of the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you this question. How many of you looked at your gas gauge on your car this morning before you got to church or at some point? How many of you checked your gas gauge? Good for you. How many of you checked your phone battery when you got up this morning or you've looked at it since then? You, you checked the, see the charge on your phone. Anybody? You charged your phone last night? How many of you charged your phone last night? Everybody? How many of you this morning got up and you checked your spiritual gauge of the Holy Spirit's work in your life this morning? Can I just tell you we're a whole lot better at keeping gas in our car and power in our phones than keeping the Spirit full and flowing out of our life? Boy, I'll preach off that. We're more concerned about running out of gas in our car and about our phone dying than we are our spiritual vitality and where we stand as far as the, the, the strength, effectiveness, and the power of God working in our life. I'm up in your face now because it's true. That's the truth. You have to ask yourself, do I know exactly where I am in my spiritual life right now? Have I plugged in to God this week? Have I talked to Him? Have I filled up? Have I recharged? Have I spent time with God? God wants you to live a life that you cannot by giving you the Spirit of, of Himself that you don't have. He has to constantly be filling us up. That's what the Scripture tells us. Constantly be filled up. Constantly be filled up, constantly be able to continue to move forward in the power of God because this prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. It's full, it's effective, it's effectual. And he gives an illustration. Look in verse 17. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain for the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Elijah was this superhero to Jewish kids. I mean, he was like the cape, the guy in the cape that flew around. He was awesome. I mean, incredible things happened in his life. And he prays earnestly, the Bible says in verse 17. He says he prayed earnestly. He prayed in prayer. He prayed so in such a way, and he prays. And for three years and six months, it did, it did not rain. Powerful, effective. My question is, is on the day that he said no more rain, what was the weather like? Was that a sunny day or was that a cloudy day? Seems to me that would make a little difference, right? If it's dry and hot in July and you say, oh, no more rain. Oh, man of great faith if you're in Texas, right? It's cloudy, foggy, chance of sprinkles. What was the weather like? Here's what happens. When you pray the prayer of faith like Elijah did, you drive a stake in the ground and you consider what you have prayed to be changed. When I say that we are walking in faith and we're walking in healing, that's what happened. We drove a stake in the ground. Symptoms or not, I drove a stake in the ground and I'm trusting that God has changed the end of the story. That's what it means to pray the prayer of faith. And then finally God says, okay, okay, it's time. They've learned their lesson. Pray for rain. Now why didn't God just start making it rain? If you'll notice the story, Elijah goes and he prays for rain on top of Mount Carmel. And he prays the first time, just like he did last time. Go check, son. He sends his servant out to check. Uh, it's still hot and dry. There's not a drop anywhere. And he keeps praying. 
Bible says that he does that seven times, back and forth. He's going back and forth, back and forth. And finally, the, the servant comes in. He says, I don't see any rain, but there's a little cloud way out there about the size of a man's hand. I don't know. And Elijah says, that's it. Let's go. We, we got what we were looking for. And in faith, Elijah believed that what God started, he would finish. You see, prayer reminds us that and everyone else of who is truly in charge. That's why you keep praying. Symptoms are still persisting. Pastor, I still don't feel. Keep praying. Keep sending it out. Keep sending it out. Keep saying, hey, look, I know things are going to change. Drive that stake deeper into the ground and say, I know that my God has heard me. Because the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. The Holy Spirit's making the change whether I see it right now or not. He's going to make the change over and over. You just keep praying. He continued to pray. So when you're exhausted, understand something. The Holy Spirit does the work. You just stay in the fight. Hang in there. Some of you are tired. Some of you are weary. Some of you are like, oh, man, I don't know if I can keep doing this. Yeah, you can. Keep praying. Let him do the work. You just stay in the you stay in the fight. I close with this. Perry, could you come? Verse 19 says, My brothers, if any one of you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. You know what I've noticed about people? They're like sheep. They tend to wander off. I think that's why God gave us shepherds, right? Since COVID, can I just tell you, a lot of people have wandered off. There's people that used to be in our church in 2019 that are no longer in our church, and they just wandered off. Well, how do you wonder, Pastor? How does that happen? Well, the Bible says that we should love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Sometimes people wander and it begins in their heart. And they start, they start uh, feeling this lukewarm feelings. And that's what happened during COVID. Let me tell you something. You can, get, you can get what you can get by watching online, but you need to be in the presence. I don't discount what we do. And I I'm, thank God for technology, but you need to be in the presence. You need to, to rub shoulders with people who are actually you know, right there. But we can get lukewarm. And let me tell you something. Lukewarmness is a sign that you're kind of wandering off. When you can show up and you don't feel anything. Another way you can wander off in your heart is you can get hurt at church. I've seen people leave the church because they got hurt. They just kind of wandered off. And now they're not in any church. They don't go anywhere. You can wander off in your heart. You can wander off in your soul. Because you're not feeding and nurturing your relationship with God. You just quit reading your Bible. You quit praying. You just kind of, God becomes kind of, you get so busy in life, raising kids and doing work and, and making money and trying to just survive that you just, your soul wanders off. Some people wander off because of their mind, they listen to false truths. They buy into some of the the nonsense ideas that are being propagated around our world today. They go to college and they hear some professor talk about a God that, you know, you're you're weak-minded if you believe in God. And so they allow that to, to take root in their mind. And they wander off from the faith. They buy into some false doctrines, false teaching, and they wander off from the church. You can wander off because your strength begins to fail. You give in to temptation. How many times have we seen that? You fall into temptation. Well, I'm not going back to church because they'll judge me. Or I'm not going back to church because I've messed up too bad and God doesn't want me anymore. No, 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 that's, that's the devil. But people wander off all the time. Here's my thing about this. It says that James says, look, if people have wandered off, if they've, of course, quit pursuing God, then how about you go pursue them? know somebody that may have wandered off how about send them a text hey i'd like to invite you back to church i'd like to invite you for lunch when you're in trouble pray if you're happy there's times to sing when you're sick 
Call the elders of the church to pray. When you're exhausted, let him do all the work instead of you trying to do it. If you've sinned, find forgiveness by seeking others to confess and say, hey, I need you to help me dig the hole to bury this thing in. If you've wandered off, I want you to know he's standing at the front porch waiting for you to come back. Arms wide open. In every season of your life, there is a response. And James ends his book that way. He says, look, this is what you do in everyday life. Pull this handle in those moments. Thanks for listening to this message. If you were blessed by this ministry, we want to encourage you to share it. And if you don't have a church home, come join us any Sunday at 1030.